This next song is called I Have Seen the Rain, and uh, it was written by my daddy, Mr. Jim Moore. Uh, he wrote it back in Vietnam about 40 years ago, and I grew up singing it with him at different Vietnam vet functions. It's how I learned how to harmonize and how to love an acoustic guitar. And the way that we recorded it, that was my dad's first time in a recording studio, and he always said singers don't really have to work too hard, and he changed his mind that day. Um, but we did it live, him and I in the vocal booth together, him playing and singing and me harmonizing. One take, straight through. Um, and it was really, really a good time. It was really special to be able to record a song with my dad, the first song I ever learned. We hope you like it, and we dedicate it to all the vets out there. You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and welcome to episode number 33. Today, Abigail got to pick the album, and I got to pick the brewery to try to match it. Abigail, what will we be listening to today? The album I chose is I'm Not Dead by Pink. Oh, my. This is Pink's fourth studio album, released in April 2006 right about the end of my sixth grade year. And I acquired this album from my grandma, Darby, my mom's mom, Margot is her name. And I don't know how she came to the album. I don't know if she purchased it for me or my recollection is she somehow got a free copy of it from somewhere and then passed it on to me. But I got very into it at the time. It is a dark album, some dark themes on there, some very mature themes, but I still think it holds up most of the songs anyway. And I was excited to share with you so i can't wait to hear your thoughts on it well i have some thoughts so it should be fun <laughs> as do i <laughs> in the meantime we're today uh having our recording session at overflow brewing which is in st petersburg florida it's a place i've been to before i picked it because it has an art gallery inside of it you can purchase art off the walls from local artists and i thought pink's kind of artsy so that was my connection maybe it's a little loose well and colorful and loud and funky yes, and yes. And that's what a lot of the art here is, especially the murals outside, yes. which we've taken several photos of to put on the website. The, the cover photo of the album, I'm Not Dead, it read to me as very artsy. And, it, and so I had this weird visual connection to this place. But here to tell us a little bit about the brewery, we got to sneak in a little early and speak to Ryan Sarno, who's the managing member of the bar, one of the owners and investors as well. And he's going to share a little bit about the bar's history and tell us a little bit about the beers on tap. And then we'll tell you a little bit about what we're going to be drinking after we hear from Ryan. All right, well, it's a hectic weekend here at Overflow Brewing in St. Petersburg, Florida, and we are delighted to be able to sneak in an interview with managing partner and one of the owners of the brewery itself, Ryan Sarno. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us on Pops on Hops. Thank you for having me. I've been to this place before. It's a delightful brewery. I love the artwork here, which is kind of why we picked this because of the album we chose for this episode. But I'm interested in finding out how long have you guys been here? We opened in 2018. So April 20th, 2018 was the first day open in the location. We broke ground November of 2017 or so. We were told, oh, it'll only be be 90 days like okay cool we'll get open for february get the kinks out get into beer week which is the first week of march and then we'll just grind from there and then all of a sudden it was like oh well sorry it's gonna be like february and then it was like oh well it'll be the end of february and oh. it's like oh okay well i guess we won't get beer week oh, this wow. time which was okay because you know you want to get through some of your kinks and stuff along those lines so it was kind of good to have that little extra month of cushion to just kind of work around everything and get it going have so a few friends and family nights 
run through the, yeah. any kind of POS system stuff. Soft openings. Uh, Is this your original space then? Yes. So we must have been here not too long uh, after it opened. 2019. It was oh, March 20. of 2019. Oh, early we 2019. Here. I had run a race over in um, Fort DeSoto Park. Okay. And so this was one of the places I hit while we were in town. Awesome. And uh, had a great experience. Yeah. Loved the place. Loved the place. I bought merch. She bought merch. <laughs> I walked in, saw the merch, knew I had to have it. Still wear it <laughs> weekly. So awesome. I have a soft hear. spot for overflow, even though I haven't been back since 2019. I'm looking at the board. There's a ton of sours up there. What do you guys focus on here? What do you bring to the St. Pete brewing scene? So when we were concept, Sean and Troy were the two brewers that created the concept of overflow. And it essentially was to do sours in a certain scale and then other different options. Well, what they didn't know was that the sours that they made were just that good that every festival we did, people were just lining up for it. I got to work those festivals with them in 2014, 15, some of 16 over at the old Cajun Cafe on the Bayou on Park Boulevard. And I had known instantly, I'm like, dude, you guys gotta do this. You know, nobody's putting out beer like this in the area. Obviously it took a few years to get it together, but once we finally did, we just knew bringing this form of product, you know, not ultra tart, perfect for the weather outside, even year round, you know, cause it's not too thick, not too thin, but that's kind of the primary focus 16 taps we try to do four to six sours at all times oh, wow. different from each other and then a couple ipas and then a little bit of everything because not everybody knows that they like sour beer yet that's good correct point. good point <laughs> gotta slowly get everybody involved with gotta it gotta reel so. them in a little yeah. bit with oh, the yeah. good stuff right had a guy earlier he's like oh i've never really tried and liked sour beers before and he ordered an ipa and so he started talking real quick and i asked him the one question i usually ask most people if they say they don't like a sour beer i'm just like do you like raspberries and blackberries and if they say yes i mean ours will never go more tart than a raspberry or a blackberry so i already know well there's probably a sour beer you like you just haven't had a good one yet so he said yes so all of a sudden i just laid three in front of him i did uh origami aircrafts i did uh persimmon punch and then i did the black sour the void vibe because they're all just very different from each other yeah and he loved all three of them. Didn't like the black sour as much, but you're not really supposed to because it's a stout and then a sour mixed together, which it's phenomenal. But you get a lot of roastiness. It's not that clean and crisp, ultra fruited. Right. He said they were great. And it's just like, that's awesome. Because now there's one person who didn't like it who now knows that he enjoys the beer. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fun. It's interesting. We had a conversation a couple of weeks back about stouts taking on fruit flavors mm. and i made the comment that i felt it had to be darker fruits like blueberries and blackberries is that what you find when you're not always when, no do you consider cherry a dark fruit i kind of do i guess okay yeah. then yeah well i guess what you pair it with so we did a barrel aged chocolate and orange stout mm. it was phenomenal it was like those candies yeah yes orange right, candies it right. tasted exactly like that how about that oh uh, it was really really good problem with it is is usually with a lot of the lighter fruits they don't overcome a beautiful stout right imperial stouts are even harder obviously but if you get into the six percent stouts and things along those lines that are a little bit more easier drinking body wise and whatnot that aren't ultra sweet even if they are sweet you know you do like a milk stout you can really get a good vehicle for some fruit in it yeah i was guessing the darker fruits and a little less on the lighter tropical fruits it would be very hard to get into that so if somebody walked in who'd never been here before and said what do you got what would you recommend to me what do you usually tell them because you rotate through a lot of stuff it looks like i would typically just ask them what they drink typically if they're like everything I say, tell me style you don't like. 
I can work backwards from there. Usually by their indication, they'll know, oh, I drink Bud Light. It's like, okay, well, I could give you a lager in some way, shape, or form. I'm fascinated by some of the ingredients in some of these sours. So Origami Aircrafts has wild strawberry leaves in it. Going green is basically like a green juice, right? Kale, celery, desert. parsley, yeah. And then... I've never seen persimmon in a beer before. I don't think I've ever seen rose petal in a beer before. There's some fruits on here I've never even heard of. Karuba and feijoa, which yeah. you helpfully have a pronunciation guide on the menu. How do you come up with these things? Or how do the brewers come up with this? What is the inspiration for starting these funky flavor profiles? Well, the Karuba one, I can give you a really easy answer on. There's a place called Hawthorne Bottle Shop down the street on Central Avenue. When they first opened up, you know, they had a bunch of stuff that you typically couldn't find sour-wise and bottle-wise. And I don't get out much, but I went over to support them in the beginning and I found this beer from Eight Wired and it was in New Zealand, was the, from the brewery. And it was a, oh, sorry, the feijoa, not Karuba, the feijoa fruit. And it was a feijoa fruit sour. I'm like, I've never heard of a feijoa fruit before. It sounds so crazy. So I bought it, went home, we drank it. I'm like, fast forward a couple years. Then we opened the brewery. I'm searching for it. Can't find it in any form of aseptic purees. Can't get it in any bulk to make our own. Can't do anything. It's just impossible to find. So I'm buying our purees all the time and going on. But every time I'm always like, feijoa fruit, feijoa. One day it popped up. I'm like, Score. And so it was during COVID and we did it on a Lichtenhainer, which is essentially a Goza and then it's smoked, which is beautiful. And we had never tried the fruit before and it came out just wow. And so fast forward a year or so, and we're trying to figure out what to do. I'm like, let's throw that in just a regular beer and see how the, the fruit tastes. And so it's just fun to do that. Same kind of thing goes for the Karuba. Essentially just searching for our normal purees. I just find something interesting. And then I go on Google and I'll go flavor profile of, and then just go through a bunch of different sites because nobody gives you a clear definition of right. it. And it usually sounds like it'll do well. We just try it. Wow. See what you get. So where do those fruits come from? The puree aspect of them all over the United States, but usually they'll get the fruits from the countries and then make it aseptic. They just bring it to a certain temperature to kill any bacteria that's on it. And by doing that, they actually make it shelf stable. Wow. And they'll sit for like a year, which we never oh, do. Wow. We buy it immediately and go right in. With the strawberries, obviously, or some things we can source locally, we'll do our own purees and then we just freeze the fruits and then throw them in. Huh. The only other way we really do our sour treatments, which is the other half of your question, origami, persimmon, things along those lines is, in the very beginning, they found that they could use non-TTs, so um, fruit-based or hibiscus-based yeah. teas that had no tea in them, yeah. so you're not getting caffeine or anything along those lines, but you get these just crazy combinations that you don't typically get. Now, I'm not telling you that you can just go into the store and buy a normal tea and it does amazing. You know, these teas are really expensive. Mm -hmm. In the long run of treating a beer, it's more expensive than the fruits that we were physically oh, wow. But the combos of the fruits, if I was to source all of them, it would never happen and it would be way too expensive. Yeah. So, what's really interesting about them though is when you steep the liquid in the tea, you could literally just eat the fruits right out of because oh, wow, it just reinvigorates the fresh freeze-dried fruit. So like the persimmon slices are literally like an orange slice. Wow. And it's ridiculous how big this thing's in. So we've just found that origami was the first sour we have ever made. And then what I oh, did wow. was I went to that company when we first opened. We're like, what else is like this? And so we just started trying other different things to a point where we were able to put together almost a framework. If we look at the style of what it is, then we know that we can 
pick that out in a sample, taste it, and then buy our small taste of it, that's probably going to do really well in the beer. How about that? It's really fun. That's awesome. So we don't do very many of them, but we usually try to do at least one fruit and one tea one here and there. I don't even like to use the word tea, so I would right. just say blend. Yeah. Some sort of herbal plant. There's really not even just herbs in them most of the time. You know, lemongrass, I think, is one of the herbiest things you'll see in most of them for the most part. Yeah, it's mostly like dried fruits and right. like flowers and yeah. yeah. Hibiscus is a weird one because there's a fruit element to it and a plant element to it and they're both different, right? Both of those are different flavor profiles, It's like right? a roasted raspberry floral flavor that hibiscus kind of gives off. It's very unique and really awesome. Now, you mentioned strawberry. Yes, sir. And you were kind enough to give us a glass of strawberry fluffer. Yes, Did sir. Did I get it right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, tell us the story because you were telling me before we set up the mics about what you had to do to make the strawberry fluffer. So, we're going to do it every year now for strawberry season. Our brewer and I went out and started just going to different places to try to find strawberries. We're like, oh, we're just going to get it. Plant City should have farms. Everybody's door should be open. Couldn't have been more wrong. Nobody even answers the phone. Everybody's closed off. We can't get in. We drove around for like two hours or so. And we had one that would have been really expensive, but we were probably going to do it just to do one time and then not do it again. And finally, I'm like, all right, we're going to throw one more at the wall and see if it catches. And sure enough, they answered the phone. She's like, come by and chat. Went out, chatted with her. And she's like, oh yeah, we can do that for you. So uh, acquired 150 pounds of strawberries. I did not know what that was going to entail. Yeah, Uh, I can't picture that. (laughs) It's 25 half flats of strawberries. So there's six of the little green containers in one half flat. Yeah, okay. Wow. Um, I didn't bring my blender down here the first time. And again, didn't know what it was gonna entail. So I get home and I start going. All of a sudden, like three hours have gone by and I'm through like four of them or five of them or whatever it is. I'm like, oh no, did not know. And I'm like, I'm too far to pack all this up and go down. It's too late to get people to help. So I did 12 hours the first day. And then the next day had to do two more hours to get it done. And I'm like, I'm never doing this by myself ever again. So fast forward this year, we had five of us and did it in about three and a half hours. We actually did 175 pounds of strawberries. So you had a little bit more. Just in case, you know, um, something didn't taste right on one of the bags after the freezing process to kill any bacteria or whatever. We wanted additional, which we did end up tossing two bags of it. Just smell, taste, not 1,000% what we want. Yeah. Discard. But yeah, it was wild that first time. How about that? Oh gosh, yes. So you sourced it locally. Yes. You blended it locally. (laughs) I mean, uh, that's crazy. (laughs) With no electronic support. (laughs) They do blackberries as well. So this month, actually, I'll be hitting them up to buy blackberries from them as well. We'll be sourcing all those for, we're not exactly sure right as of yet wow fantastic well i gotta tell you the strawberry beer is fantastic thank you yeah we've had a couple strawberry beers before but i don't think we've had one that tastes as naturally strawberry sometimes there's like an artificial strawberry yes they usually i mean i don't know how many people have access to 150 pounds of strawberries so obviously they put real strawberries in but sometimes they might use a little extract or something this is clearly pure strawberry like a really healthy organic taste to it hardest part about strawberry is it doesn't come out in beer and so you really have to over strawberry it for it to come out in beer. Not that I know or promise that I know anybody else's procedures, but sometimes you might, like I know that we did a strawberry beer in the beginning and we threw a pound of strawberry puree per gallon of beer and barely tasted strawberry. And we right. we didn't really do anything else with it. But if you're doing it on a bigger scale, you might add a little extract to mm-hmm. it, which we will never do. But that's why we bought more than normal, about double the amount of fruit that we would normally put in the beer. But what's crazy is, is it doesn't 
doesn't overpower the Hefeweizen still. You still get yep. the clove and the banana yes. and everything with it. And yes. So that shows you how subtle strawberry actually is. It's wild. Yeah. It's, but but it's definitely in there. It's definitely you. noticeable. I mean, it's really, really a flavorful beer. So right. I thought there might be marshmallow in this based on the name, Strawberry Fluffer. Yeah, that's a good point. Ryan, you were just saying you could never put marshmallow in a Hefeweizen because it would be... Just the banana and the clove itself from the yeasts would really clash with the vanilla creaminess that you'd kind of get from the marshmallows themselves. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. The marshmallow <laughs> beer we had recently was a rice ale. Yeah, right? we had a rice ale with marshmallow vanilla and it was really tasty but you know the rice ales they don't have a lot of flavor in and of themselves you know they're very clean tasting and so the marshmallow flavor seemed to really work with that one whereas nice. with stuff that has other flavors in it it probably wouldn't work as well maybe a stout just depends on your base with hefeweizens usually you don't really want to even do most treatments on it because of the nature of clove and whatnot and being so intense and can just overpower a lot of stuff so right. you don't really want to spend a bunch of money on something put it in and it doesn't really and it doesn't like work. It, yeah. Right. Bad combination. Or the taste overpowers and it's like, ooh. Right. Are you going to rate it? <laughs> All right. Well, it's part of my job. I guess I have to give it an untapped rating. And I'd like to give it like a 3.8. But I'm going to give it a 3.75. I'm also going to give it a 3.75. All right. There you go. Yeah. 3.75. Thank you. We're locked into the quarter point increment. Yeah. Untapped. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have one weird final question for you. When did you first hear of the artist Pink? Probably when she first came out. Really? Yeah, I'm 36, almost 37. So I kind of would say, what is it, late 90s or early 2000s when I feel like she made a debut onto it. I forgot what the first song was, but I remember it was actually on MTV. MTV still played music. The one that I remember was Get the Party Started. Is that the title of it? Yeah, that's the one I remember first. That kind of put her on the map for me. But today's episode, I'm getting my first taste of a full pink album. So that's what... My choice. It was Abigail's choice today. So while I'm familiar with pink, I had to dive deep into the catalog. We're going to be talking about I'm Not Dead. And Abigail's a little worried because she thinks this is the first album. There's some dark themes. Well, she's afraid this is the first album she gave me that I'm not going to like. So we'll see how that plays out. You're supposed to get tested, you know? supposed to push the edge of what yes. you might or might not like. Agreed. That's the idea. That's the, what we're doing. The past sure. couple I've been given have been more challenging. Yeah, so I'm trying it. to raise the bar as well. So how many yeah. times do you have to listen to it before you either come to your conclusion or is it just a one and done and then you roll no, with it? Or? No, okay. no, okay. So We live with them for about I, two weeks. Okay. If I like something immediately, I end up listening to it less because I like it immediately. If I don't like something, that's my sign to myself that I need to sit with it a little longer in order to have some intelligent things to say about it. So some of them I have listened to certainly more than others. <laughs> but yeah, two to four weeks of like yeah. heavy duty listening. Understandable. The more time you spend with it though, the deeper you get into it mm-hmm. with each listen. And so I've had some albums that have been very challenging that ultimately I ended up liking, but I had to work to get there. And now there's some of the ones that I still think about. It's like a complex movie. If it's an easy fluff movie, you kind of go home and forget about it. But if it's really deep and thoughtful, you're like still thinking about it two, four, five, seven days later. That was an impactful movie. Some of these albums are just like that. So it's been a really interesting project. But have you ever said that you disliked one, an album? No, I don't think I have. I don't think I have said that either. No, I think ultimately I've liked everything that we've shared. Which is what makes this project so cool because like I never would have picked up a Midnight Oil album. But there needs to be a 
time that there is one that you one agrees with that they like and the other one doesn't, then the debate of that becomes a great spot in its own. There have been albums where we have had those debates. We have had some complex debates um, also. Especially individual songs, because we go by track by track. Yeah. Oh, okay. So some conversations about individual tracks have been interesting, and some of the conversations about the song order is not right uh, has been really interesting. Okay, okay. Some of the more complicated discussions have been over we get things like really that. really in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, it's really in the weeds. Because most people don't like all people... tracks on something, so I could understand oh, why yeah. now that you say that. I'm like, okay, you can get some real good debates song by song. For sure. That's awesome. But anyway, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you jumping on here. Yeah, on a Friday night while you're working and yeah. bartending and, and covering for bartenders that are injured and all the shenanigans you have going on here. It's been delightful. And obviously we're going to come back tomorrow and record the music part of this. Hopefully we'll see you tomorrow as well. It was a joy to come back here tonight. Thank so, you so thanks. much. Really thanks. appreciate it. Thank thanks, you. Ryan. Yeah, thank you. Once again, we want to thank Ryan for jumping on with us. It was so kind of him to do that. He's having a very busy weekend, so we did sneak in early to be able to pull that off, and it was super cool of him to do that for us. But based on his discussion, we selected four beers off the menu, a lot of fruit-forward beers that he mentioned in there. We'll talk about each one as they come up. It's a good-looking sample of beers, but we're in a place that really favors you today. A lot of fruits, a lot, uh, of, sours. A lot of sour beers on that menu, and I guess part of the reason, as we heard, is they had their fourth anniversary birthday party in late April and they had I think he said 13 sour beers of the 19 taps they had that day or something like oh, that. Oh wow, that's, that's a dream. That's what they focus on here and so some of the things we have are a carryover from the fourth birthday party. So I'm anxious to taste them because a couple of them have those weird fruits that Ryan mentioned in yes. the interview. So before we get started shall we have our first sample here? I think we should. Which one are we doing first today, Dad? That's a good question. I think we should start with the Fagos, which as Ryan mentioned in the interview has the Fejoa fruit in it. That yes. He searched and searched and searched to find. So he highly recommended that because it's, they say it was the second time they did it or the very first time that they did it. It was the first time he was able to find Feijoa puree from the company they buy their purees from. Right. They said they tried it first on a Lichtenhainer. That's right. Which right. is a style of beer that we first had at Nobo Brewing Company when That's we right. reviewed in excess and which is a German smoked sour. So they tried it on that. And so this time, goes is the base Fruity beer. goes, right. Here's to Fagoza. Cheers. That's a very nice beer. I don't know what to make of the fruit. It's very citrusy. Yes. I think it reads as a citrus fruit. I don't know the fruit at all. So I'm going to have to do a little homework on the fruit itself, but it's It's, a, it's almost pineapple-y almost. Not quite as sweet as that though. Right, very tart. Yeah, it's a tart, dry drinking beer, I think. I would agree with that, yeah. No sweetness at all. And the fruit is on the citrus side but very clean leaves the palate quickly yep that's very, a good, that's very a good beer. tasty beer yeah all right so we're in for one good one <laughs> at least so while we're uh, enjoying that why don't you tell me a little bit about pink absolutely so as i mentioned this album i'm not dead was her fourth studio album her first album was sort of an r&b inspired album and her second album has a couple of the hits that we talked about you knew at the time right like get the party started and the one that i knew in addition to that was don't let me get me bizarrely i had both of those songs on kids bop cds oh wow 
again in the early 2000s. Right. Oh, we used to buy those albums. Yeah. Right. So her second album was where she really started to gain prominence, and that was when she switched from an R&B inspired sound to truly more of a pop rock sound. This album was from 2006. There were seven singles on it. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Only one was released before the album, and that was Stupid Girls, which is the first track on the album, which we'll get to. That song, in particular, the music video for that song, was nominated for a Grammy for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, and then it won the MTV Video Music Award for the Best Pop Video. Okay. Did you watch that video? I didn't go watch any of them. I will go watch them, though, and I'll put them up on the website. Maybe I'll play it for you here, because I think it's worth having a discussion about the video in conjunction with the song. The song had a lot of controversy surrounding it when it was released, and I think that's totally valid. I have thoughts about it, too. And the music video, I would call it controversial as well. So I think it's worth a watch. But yeah, it won the VMA that year. So that's fun. This album reached number six on the Billboard Top 200 in the US, but it reached number one in several other countries, including Australia, Austria, Germany, New Zealand, and Switzerland. Wow. So a bizarre amount of international success for this album. I mean, it did well here too. A couple of the singles I'm willing to bet you may have heard before, but you can let me know <laughs> as we go through I them. I didn't recall a single track. Really? On not a single song? No. I guess when it came out, you weren't really looped into pop music that this, much, were you? Well, no, this wouldn't have been the kind of music that would have made it to my rotation of channels on Sirius. I didn't listen to Hits One or I didn't listen to any of the younger generation channels on it, right? I always listen to the spectrum to get new music that matches you, new music for old yeah kind of <laughs> shout out to Christian Finnegan's <laughs> newsletter new music for olds which is fabulous and the Sirius XM channel functions like that for me in a certain way because they have artists that sound like we say all the time like legacy artists that I would enjoy listening to this wouldn't land on that channel so I had no exposure to any of the songs on this album I know pink I knew the songs that were big hits from the album misunderstood Yep. The other thing interesting about this was this was sort of a quote-unquote comeback album in the sense that she had two monster albums, her first and second albums, particularly her second album. So her third album had disappointing sales compared to that. And so here's somebody on her third album that's not considered washed up, that's too strong of a word, but had a down album. And so this album and the subsequent album were, again, monster hits. So four of her first five albums were monster hits uh, worldwide. I find that interesting that somebody this young, five albums in, has one album that doesn't sell as well as a monster hit and all right. of a sudden you're in career jeopardy. It's so sad. Well, and she did say that she didn't really feel inspired by the team she worked with on her third album. And when she was working on this album, she was a lot more tuned in to the team behind it. Right. I think that most definitely had an impact on the performance itself. Do you know if she changed labels too? Was that part of the story? I can't remember. She did. I can't remember if it was before this album or before the third. It must have been before this album, right? I think that was part of why she changed as part of that management change. Yeah, okay. So here I have this album was released through La Face Records. Following the commercial underperformance of her third studio album, Try This, from 2003, Pink parted ways with Arista Records and began experimenting with new sounds and collaborating with new producers. Okay. I also wanted to read a quote, what she said the album title and the album as a whole meant to her. It's about being alive and feisty and not sitting down and shutting up even though people would like you to. <laughs> I think that is Pink's 
ethos. Even today, when I conjure in my head who is Pink as a person, that's what I think of. I think of someone who is loud and bold and brash and feisty and someone who is not afraid of controversy, has definitely written controversial songs, controversial lyrics, but she's just doing her own thing. Yeah. And I really respect that. And she's continued to release hit after hit. We're staying with a friend of yours this weekend and he mentioned the song Effing Perfect, which is a Pink song. His wife's a huge fan of that song and that was from, I don't know, when I was in high school. So she's continued to release great music. I think she had a ballady kind of song four or five years ago that I loved. They got a lot of airplay on the coffee house on Sirius oh, of wow. All Things. Oh, wow. Interesting. And it was a beautiful song. I think some of her songwriting after she had children changed a little bit. And I think that song was reflective of that. And also, that thing that she started doing, I was reading her biography, and she had been in gymnastics as a kid. And I want to say also four or five years ago, she was involved or has been very involved in these kind of acrobatic performances that she's done it in some of the award shows where she does that silk yeah. that gymnastics and involves silks. And she just does that live on stage yeah. not wired in right if you fall you fall like, yeah. it's not joking around that yeah. stuff I was impressed by that I remember seeing clips of that from some award shows back when she was doing that a lot mm -hmm. so yeah I, I agree with you I think she's an in your face performer this album certainly reflects that it's an in your face album in a lot of ways yeah and there are a couple songs on this album that could fit right into the coffee house lineup as well you are correct there at are least a couple. two are There's what at I'm least thinking two, of at least two on here that could definitely fit on the coffee house so you give me the album and it's one I'm not familiar with I bought it as a digital download just so you know i didn't buy the physical copy of this one i listened to it on spotify before i made that decision oh wow did you so i hope the fact that i bought it answers part of the question I here so. I that I think when I gave you the album, I said, this was the first one I was worried you genuinely might not like. <laughs> well, I always go with an open mind. So I put it in, and from the very first song, I really enjoyed the album. Mm -hmm. It's way different than stuff I typically listen to. I'm going to say it's a musically diverse album. There's yes. a core sound to some of the songs, and some of my favorites are reflective of the core sound. Me too. Which is up-tempo, loud, boisterous songs that go with loud, boisterous Belting. lyrics. Belting it out. She's got a very raspy voice. It's an interesting vocal performance that she has. Very emotional performances in her voice. That raspiness adds some edge to the songs. Oh, for sure. Which I liked. Mm -hmm. I've told you before, some of my favorite male artists are the Springsteens and the Stings right. and the folks who have a little bit of a rasp to their voice because I still think they get the emotional underpinnings out regardless Absolutely, of that. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of the songs she did that. Obviously the topics are not for a 60 year old man. I felt like it was very much an in your face woman power album. Even the songs where they're like breakup songs, it's about her having control. It's not about somebody else having control of the situation. Every song she is in control. It's 14 tracks so we're going to be at it for a little bit today but the 14th track to me was stunning. I thought you might enjoy that one <laughs> and, and for was, multiple reasons, which we'll yeah, talk which we'll about when we get to. to yeah. But if I'm reading this right, it was almost like it was a tack on. Was it even listed as a track on no, the album? It was, it a, was a hidden track. track. Right. So the last track was 10 something minutes long. First three minutes were track 13. And then there was a long pause. And then she comes in introducing the hidden track with a spoken yes. performance. And then the song. So we will get to that. It is a separate track listed on Spotify. It's not hidden anywhere anywhere on right, Spotify. Right. So you're talking about if you bought the disc, you had to really wait it out to get to the track. Yeah, it was one track with a five minute silence in the middle. <laughs> it's so different. I can see why you might do that, but it's so good. I don't see why you would do that. <laughs> I don't, and when we get to it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It if, doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. 
why you do something that special and then hide it. I mean, I know it's a great surprise if you discover it. Yeah. But it's also such a great song. I don't know why you hide it so that some people don't. That confuses me. But yeah. Anyway. And it's pretty different from almost everything else on the album. It doesn't fit on the album. Right. So that may have been a reason. Right. But again, we'll get to that when we get Remember to it. We'll get to it because we got a lot of tracks to get <laughs> we to do. first. So we're going to start off with the opening track of the album. And that is the track that you referenced earlier, Stupid Girls. what year this album's from? 2006. 2006. First of all, I put this in and it's got a little bit of a Latin kind of guitar at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then it takes off and I was like, oh, I really like this song. Yeah. And then when I, what, what is it about? In that era, I had an instant reaction. So I was thinking of people from that era that she could be referencing, especially the little dogs and the purses. Yep. The Paris Hiltons. Yep. The Nicole Richie crowd from that era. And that line, porno paparazzi, you know, selling an image from cash. So when you say it's a controversial song, I totally get why. It's almost, I want to be a person of substance. So when I was talking about I find these songs to be about female empowerment, that's what I mean by that. She doesn't want to act like that. She wants to be somebody of more substance. So I really like this song, and I knew exactly who she was referring to from that era. Yeah. So it is not in my top three, but it certainly sets the table for what you can hear on the album. And most of the tracks are in this vein. There's some variation in music, there's some acoustic stuff, there's the thing with the Indigo Girls we'll get to, but this is sort of the bass music. Yeah. So it's good to start with a track like yeah. this, obviously, and, and most of the tracks are like this. I hate that I like this song so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you think I feel? <laughs> yeah, I know. It goes hard. It's a real banger of a song. And I find the lyrics now so distasteful. Back then, I was like, oh man, she's right. All these stupid girls and all the stupid things they're doing. But like, it's not appropriate to, in a public forum, demean other successful women in your sphere. And it's frankly not feminist because they may not be making the choices you would make. But the important thing is they have that choice. And I find the music video, again, loved the music video when I was a kid. Very controversial. There's a bulimia episode that happened. Someone literally throws up into a sink. And then at the end, the conceit of the music video is there's a little girl watching music videos on TV and she's got a little shoulder angel and a little shoulder devil and both are pink. And she's watching these women that pink is demeaning in this song on TV. And she's trying to make the decision of who she wants to be. And at the end, she grabs a football and she goes outside to play football. And it's like, great, that's good for that little girl that she ended up choosing what she wants to do, but that's not for everyone. So I don't love the message that I'm better than all these other women. I find that extremely okay. distasteful. I, I will concede that point, but do you think that a song like this allows a little girl to say it's okay to pick up a football? 
Because if you don't have this to combat the message of the Paris Hiltons and the Kardashian family, that brand that they sell, what's the competing message in media? But I don't think there's anything wrong with selling that brand. If that's what's making you successful and that's what's making you money, I can't hate on that whatsoever. So what's the alternative thing on television right now that a girl could watch instead of the Kardashians to find out what it means to go into a STEM program and be an engineer? There are plenty of TV shows that have women forensic scientists, women cops, women politicians. Okay, name the one that is viewed as often as the Kardashians. Well, I don't have the statistics right in no, front of me. Well, but the point I'm making is I can't name one. So I'm just saying that it's interesting to have a song in a very media-driven public forum that says there's an alternative to this. And I'm okay with that. I don't have as hardcore of a negative reaction to that because... How do you reach those kids to say it's okay to pick up a football if you don't have messaging like this? I know this is very in your face because pink is very in your face. But my argument would be the Kardashians get a lot of attention currently. Back then it was the Paris Hiltons and the Nicole Richies, right? And there's nothing as in your face on STEM programs and science. That was my point. You have to compete on the same playing field, don't you? In order to get as much attention. But I think there is a way to say you can be whatever you want. You can be a scientist. You can be a politician. You can be smart smart and talented, you can be sporty, you can be whatever you want without putting down women who have made other choices. And that is what this song is about. She's not saying I'm a powerful woman because here are all the things I do that make me a powerful woman. She's saying, I'm a powerful woman because I'm not one of those other stupid girls. I get it. And that is what I take issue with. Okay, I get it. If you're putting down women, you're not a feminist. But I will acknowledge that may have been more of the feminism of the time. Again, I strongly identified with this song when I was right. a preteen. It's only now that I think I have a more nuanced idea of the world that I can see the flaws in this attitude. This may have been very empowering for young girls at the time, but I would hope that with some reflection and hindsight, they're able to say, just because I'm making certain choices, that doesn't invalidate the choices that other women have made for themselves and for their careers and for their bodies and for their image. I understand the argument you're making. I'm just saying that it's nice to have somebody do this in an in-your-face way. And I'm saying it's not the strength of her messaging I take issue with. This song is fantastic musically. I cannot help but dance anytime I hear it. I'm taking issue with the way she's choosing to deliver her message as a I'm not like other girls type of message because I find that problematic and distasteful. Fair enough. It's not the strength of her words. It's it's the content. (laughs) So let's go on record. I like the song better than Abigail did. Well, it's not in my top three. <laughs> it's not my top three. <laughs> okay, so. So we had a very long-winded <laughs> argument about a song that's in neither of our top threes. It's also not my least favorite. All right. So coming out of that track, we move on to track number two, and that's the song, Who Knew? You took my hand, you showed me how you promised me you'd be around. That's right I took your words and I believed in everything you said to me Yeah, that's right Cause they're all wrong 
So this was the second single from the album, actually released in May of 2006. I, I think I forgot to mention that the previous song was the first single released in February of 2006. And as you said, that was the only one released, I think, before the album dropped. Mm-hmm. I like this song a lot. I think it's a great breakup song with, again, that sense of empowerment, right? If you told me this, I would punch them out. <laughs> She's not, you know, we listen to a lot of breakup songs on a lot of albums you submit. There seems to be a theme there. Interesting. What? But a lot of them are downers. You yeah. Know, kind of broken relationships. And she's like, who would have guessed I was going to break up? But really, I don't care. It's the kind yeah. of the angle I get from this song. Yeah. I'm ready to move on. I'll be okay. And that's sort of the theme of the album, right? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm not that, dead. I love that the title's I'm Not Dead because coming out of that third album that didn't sell as well as the previous two mm-hmm. was like career death. And this whole I'm not dead, I'm here and I'm going to tell you about it yeah. is the thing in this entire record. And I like that and I appreciate it very much. So even though this is a breakup song, it's in a positive light in that same vein. But it also didn't make my top three. Nor I. The thing I like best about this song is that it starts off slow and quiet and then it transitions into the chorus where we really get the first taste of how powerfully she can belt. Yes. It's a great transition out of the first track, I think. It's not too much after that first amazing, fantastic opening track, but it really does show you how amazing her voice can be. And it just continues from there on the album. So great song, not in my top three, probably middle of the album for me. Again, this album is 14 tracks. Yeah. So you could divide it into fives, I guess. This is definitely (laughs) in the middle third. And the music that comes in, I started on that clip, that little guitar riff. I pondered that I've heard something similar on a song before and could not place it. Oh, I was going to say, are you going to submit an entry to the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking I Smartly about music? I hard to try to get something into <laughs> oh, the curriculum, no. and I could not identify it. So mm. I'm going to challenge the fans. The little guitar riff piece of this that goes with some other piece of music, it's just similar. It's not identical. I'm going to play that little piece one more time just so everybody can hear it. So I don't know where I'm hearing that from, but somewhere in my catalog of music, that little piece of music reminds me of a song, and I could not identify it. Interesting. So anyway, if anybody could think of that, or anybody has a submission for that, just email us, and we'll address it at a later time. Popsonhopspod at gmail.com. Thank you. Or you can leave us a voice message. There is always a link in our show notes. If you want to call in and tell us what you've identified, we'll see you at the Abigail Humble School of Speaking Smartly About Music next term. And by the way, if you call in, we can actually include the voice clip yes, to, as the explanation. So you get to be a part Your of the podcast. Your voice could appear on Pops on Hops. It's happened before. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take us to track three before we rate our first beer. The next track up is A Long Way to Happy.
So for me, this is the darkest song on the album. For sure. There's some subtle lyrics in here that make me think that this is, it may or may not be a rape, but it's certainly a one night stand at a minimum. And I feel like there's a pregnancy involved. There's some subtle notes. Let me give you the notes I'm thinking of. Oh, Why the six I think weeks. That, the six weeks, which is interesting. One night to you lasted six weeks for me. So what would last six weeks? Probably, oh, I missed a period. Oh, time to terminate, right? Left my childhood behind in a rollaway bed. That's not a good line. No. That's kind of dark. Very and, dark. And when you say childhood, what age are we talking about? Right. And then this last one, now I'm numb as hell and I can't feel a thing, but don't worry about regret or guilt because I never knew your name. So really dark tones of this that just made yeah. me think this was an unwanted sexual encounter that ended yeah. up with a pregnancy that had to be terminated. Yeah, that's a long way to happy. She has addressed this. She did say that a lot of the songs on this album are not necessarily born out of direct experiences she has had. They are, in some senses, exaggerations of feelings. A great example that we'll get to later is Runaway. And there's a, there's a story I'll share with you about that one in particular. About this one, she said, so the entertainment industry is famous for <laughs> exploitation, sexual abuse, and harassment. And she's been performing since she was 14 years old. She said that she knew a lot of people who had gone through sexual abuse, sexual assault. She said, myself included, but she did not touch on having a pregnancy or terminating a pregnancy. So I can't parse if that part specifically happened to her, but she wrote this as an homage, I guess, to many people who have been through sexual assault, not just herself. So this may be part true, part exaggeration, part made up. She could be telling many stories, not just her story, right? through the theme. It could be multiple different stories in the same song. I mean, the line that always stuck out to me was, too young to know I had it, so it didn't hurt to lose it. That, to me, seems like real childhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of undertones yeah. in here that this is a child we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, like a young child. So it's extremely dark, but it is one of the hardest rockin' songs on the album, and it is my second favorite. Wow. Gee whiz. I know. I remember there was some stuff I sort of picked up on when I was first listening to this album. Clearly, I did not pick up on the part about potentially a pregnancy. Right, the six weeks thing. It's subtle, that's why. It's, right. It's not an in-your-face lyric, right? It's a real subtle way to explain that. But, like, I knew this was about sex. I knew this was about abuse. I could pick up on that at a young age. And it hasn't always been my second favorite. But her singing is so powerful. The music is so powerful. I love the almost wall of sound aspect at the beginning and then every so often you'll hear the guitar with the dur, 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 dur. like I just yes. love that yeah, yeah. it is a song that does shift there's that haunting piano for long stretches where she's singing and then yeah. the powerful outburst around the choruses and then back to the verses which are a little bit more in a minor key on a piano it's kind yeah. of haunting uh, haunting is a great word yeah it's absolutely yeah. haunting I just think it's a really powerful song although it's describing obviously a terrible experience and the lasting trauma that comes out of that the overall message is you just gotta keep going <laughs> right. I understand that this is gonna be a process but I'm in it for the long haul right well saying it's a long way to happy means she intends to get to happy right songs always seem to be about strong powerful empowered women right and so even in the context of this really dark song right that does show through yeah. even in the title by the way half the songs on here were singles this was not one of the singles 
That's not a shock. That makes sense to me. <laughs> so before we move on, we're three songs in. I'm going to suggest we rate the Fagos. This to me is a pretty picture perfect goes. I mean, obviously I don't know what a feijoa tastes like, so I can't identify that yeah, as a fruit. Yeah, that's hard, hard to do, right? But to me, it is a citrus, sour, clean flavor, and it's not leaping out at me as a unique fruit flavor. It's reminiscent of stuff I've had before. I don't mind that. It's a solid, solid goes, and I'm gonna give it a 3.75. 3.75 is what I'm going to give it as well. I'm between nice. a 3.75 and a 4. Floating in between there again, as I always do. And Much uh, as you were last night with the strawberry fluffer. Yeah, but I would love to have tents. why don't you sponsor us? Because I'd really like to give this one a little higher than a 3.75, <laughs> and I just can't do it today. But I did like it a lot. Really interesting beer. Yeah, it was a good beer to start with. It was a nice um, appetizer for the rest of our menu. I agree with that. So moving on the wheel of fruit today, I'm going to suggest the next one we have is Persimmon Punch. Oh, yes, please. Persimmon Punch is a sour beer also that's aged on persimmon, apple, peach, papaya, orange peel, lemongrass, rose petal, and red currants. Let me repeat that list for those of you keeping score at home. <laughs> it's a sour ale aged on persimmon, apple, peach, papaya, orange peel, lemongrass, rose petal, and red currants. So there's a lot of things in there that I like. Yeah, so if I were a betting woman, I would guess that this is one of the ones that Ryan was talking about last night that they use a tea blend for because that is an awful lot of ingredients to have in a single beer. And the rose petals really strike me as interesting. I love rose flavor. Persimmon, I've never actually eaten a persimmon and the reason is dumb. They look like tomatoes yeah. and I hate tomatoes. And so I have avoided persimmon simply because I'm afraid to try them because I'm afraid they're gonna taste like tomatoes. I know they taste nothing like tomatoes, but I can't get over the psychological barrier of eating a persimmon. So funny story about persimmons and it's a little bit of a callback. I've had persimmons, you know, why? I don't know why. Because mom brought them home. Somebody gave them to her at the <laughs> office and they sat in the fridge until I ate them. That's really and they're funny. Good. They are good. Could have made a they beer with them. The Someone texture. told me it was spongy almost. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. It's softer like a mango, but it's not the same texture, but yeah. it's a solid, softish fruit. Much like a tomato. Yes. <laughs> but without the seeds or the baggage. All right. Well, cheers. Wow. 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 That's really good. Okay, I just made the craziest face. Yes, and we're on audio, so <laughs> that doesn't count. I love that. I definitely think that this was one of the tea blends because it has an almost floral tea-like taste floral to it. Floral and kind of earthy. I mean, I can definitely taste the rose petal. That comes through to me an amazing amount. Again, I don't know what persimmon tastes like, but I think it has the flavor of a tropical fruit, but the depth of some of the darker fruit beers we have had. Yeah, but that depth comes from what you're saying, those herbal aromatic ingredients, lemongrass, Rose petal. Red currant. What red currant? Orange peel. Oh, orange peel. Yeah, okay, maybe I'm getting papaya. No, there's definitely kind of an earthy, aromatic kind of thing. By the way, it doesn't have any odor. Oh, that's right. You you can't I smell. I have an issue. It does definitely have an issue. I'm guessing that because of the rose petal and the other things. Like it doesn't that. smell especially of rose. Um, it smells like it tastes. I don't think you're missing much. So I'm not missing much as no. a result of my... No, I don't think you are. Not with this one. But gosh, this is really good. This is one of the most interesting beers I've ever had. To me, the flavors that are interesting are not beer flavors. It's all that kind right. of fruitiness. Floral. To me, it's very floral. That's why I'm thinking it's yeah. the aromatic, the rose petals and the lemongrass and that stuff, right? Gosh, that's so that's good. That's a good one. 
one. I'm going to get through that one pretty fast. I think I'm looks like you're halfway, halfway down, down already. <laughs> so we better get moving on to music, right? Because we got a lot of songs today. We do. So track four is called Nobody Knows. Nobody likes. Nobody likes to lose their inner voice. The one I used to hear before my life made a choice. But I think nobody knows. Nobody knows. So this is another breakup song to me, and it's got an interesting song structure. I think we got both parts in that clip. The uh, verses are very ballady, and mm-hmm. then again, she moves into the higher energy chorus. She does that a lot on this album. Mm-hmm. The songs with some less in your face lyrics, she tends to go with a ballady kind of approach to them. This was the fourth single released in November of 2006. Again, like I said, half the songs in this album were singles. I like this one. It's a middle of the pack. Probably bottom middle of the pack for me. This is my least favorite. Really? <laughs> yeah. I like the other slower songs on this album. For some reason, this one doesn't really do it for me. I understand what you're saying that the chorus picks up a little bit, but it's still slower than almost everything else on the album. And it is powerful. I love piano generally, but for some reason, musically, this song just didn't do it for me. And then I think the lyrics about like, oh, no one gets me. No one knows what I've been through. I really think that is a little played out. It is the least empowering set of lyrics on the album. And, right? it's and kind people, of an, people have said all that before, you know? Yeah. Oh, no one no one gets what I've been through. Right. So tell us what you've been through. Like, So when you had this album, when you first got it, what was your thought on this song? Because in other words, some of this writing may be trying to reach a tween, younger, tween yeah. and teenage girls. For sure. We talked about Matt Nathanson writing lyrics <laughs> for a much younger crowd than he was. Yeah. She's a little closer in age to the audience she's writing to, but clearly she's writing to a young girl audience, tweens and teens. I think that's right. I think they would respond more to that kind of messaging than you would or I would, right? I don't know. I don't remember having any specific thoughts about this song at the time that I first listened to it. But what I loved about this album was when she was angry and this is not that. Right. (laughs) This is the opposite of that. I said when we were talking about Stupid Girls that that's the base music of the album. That's the mission statement, if you will. And this falls outside the mission statement musically. Musically, yes. And I also feel like it falls outside the mission statement lyrically. I agree with that. But the song that's my least favorite, I have a very specific reason for it. Oh, good. And I didn't have a negative reaction to the song. I just didn't think it was one of the more powerful lyrical things on here. And I did like this shift in the music. Again, it's a musically diverse album, so we have some other choices to talk about. The next one in particular is another example of something that when you listen to the mission statement, wouldn't fit 
on the mission statement of the album. Right. There's a lot of tracks like that on here, even though there's a defined mission statement. Yes. This is one of those. And so I liked it musically and lyrically. I was kind of like, eh. Yeah. Kind of a ambivalent track. And I don't think it's out of place. No, no, no. And I think the sequencing and the pacing of this album is well done. I agree. And I certainly don't skip this song when I'm listening to the album. It just falls flat for me, both musically and lyrically. So it had to be my least favorite. Now, the next one's a little more interesting than that. Yes, it is. So this is track five, which, by the way, features the Indigo Girls. And that's the song, Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President, were you a lonely boy? Can you say no child is left behind? We're not dumb and we're not blind. They're all sitting in your cells while you pay the road to hell. What kind of father would take his own daughter's rights away? And what kind of father might hate his own daughter if she were gay? I don't know that we have to do a history lesson, but this is from 2006, <laughs> and the president was George W. Bush. And there's very specific references to George W. Bush throughout the song. No, no child, child left, left behind. behind. The compassionate conservative agenda of the time is clearly referenced throughout this. Yep. And also, again, going back to economic disparity, I don't think I played the section about, let me tell you about hard work, building a bed out of a cardboard box, and, yeah. and those sorts of things. And, you know, we're having the same arguments 16 years later, and we're talking about maybe forcing people to have babies and then not providing the resources for them to take care of the babies right. once they're born. So we have that argument constantly of what does it really mean to be pro-life? If you're going to be pro-life, you should be supportive of that life in an economic right, way. Right. Or fix the economic disparity so right. that they can Cradle to grave. Yes. Yes. <laughs> not womb to... Air. Air. Not womb to first Yeah, breath. exactly. Right. So those themes are included in here. But there are politicians now that this all applies to. I can rattle off names. I won't. Because? And because this is not a political podcast. Correct. We talk, we talk about, about beer, beer and, music and music and nothing else. And nothing else until we <laughs> ever. Hear, ever. In the history of the podcast, ever. So, anyway, I like the Indigo Girls. I like this song as an acoustic song. It's probably the bottom third of the album for me because I think it's a little on the nose. For I mean, it's, sure. It's very, you could write a similar song without calling out a very specific person. And when you say you've come a long way since your days of whiskey and cocaine, we know exactly who we're talking about, right? You know, a guy who got a second chance despite his pitfall and didn't end up in the prisons that were referenced in the section that right. I played there because of who his father was. There's a lot of really cool themes in this song. I totally agree with you. It is very on the nose and it dates the album. Even though the themes are still relevant today and will probably continue to be relevant for a very long time, but addressing it to a specific person and especially for me, the words, no child left behind, that dates the album to a very, very precise specific time. 
more time. I don't think that's a great strategy for music if you want it to persist. So I understand the purpose of this song. It's well taken. The questions are fair questions. And I think it's very cool that she brought the Indigo Girls in on it because this is a folky. It's an Indigo Girls song with Pink singing. Right. And I think that's really interesting and cool. I do too. But I agree with you. It is very on the nose, especially in the middle of an album. I think this could fly if it were towards the end of the album, either a closing track or like a second to last track. In the middle of the album, I think it's a little jarring. Right, right. (laughs) It takes you out of it a little bit. Right. But we've heard my least favorite and this isn't it. So I like this one. I agree with you that the song would be stronger if it was more timeless. Cover the themes, not the man. Right. And you have a better song that would play just as well now as it did in 2006. Right. This feels like 2006 because of those references. For sure. So I applaud the effort. I think it missed the mark a little bit, but I don't dislike the song. It's not my least favorite either. I know. We haven't hit yours yet. And did you know that was the fifth single released in December of 2006? It seems like an odd choice for a single. <laughs> for a single? But I'm sure it was because well, it was the Indigo, the Girls. Indigo Girls. Yeah, right. you got to cross-promote. Yes, I'm sure that's what I had to do with <laughs> I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. No, no, it has to be the reason because it's not of the songs on here. It's not representative of the album. by the way, December 2006, it's not like he's running for re-election. It's not even before the midterm elections in 2006. This is a weird time to release it about this guy. Right. What's he going to change? He's practically a lame duck president Right, that's true. He's almost a lame duck at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. You're not going to shame him into anything. So it's just an odd time to release it. And it's an odd choice for a single. But I know it's got to be because it was a collab with the Indigo Girls is why that had to happen. Let's get back onto the mission statement of the Let's album. Let's do it, yeah. With the titular track, as Abigail likes to say, I'm Not Dead. You can do the math a thousand ways But you can't erase the facts Let others come and others go But you always come back So this song's interesting to me because I feel like it's about an abusive relationship. There's a line in here in particular that made me think about that, and it was not in the part that I played. It says, And I was never looking for approval from anyone but you, and though this journey is over, I'll go back if you ask me to. And that's not incredibly empowering from the woman's perspective. But then there's other things where it's hard to know who the abuser is sometimes when you read the lyrics. My interpretation, it was the guy. But there's other times where it's the other way around. You know you'll come back to me. 
it's a real interesting give and take there. So maybe yeah. it's a, uh, what's the word, a codependency of abuse that uh, may be being described in this song. I think this is musically very interesting. I think it falls within what I'm saying is the typical music of most of the tracks on the album. And I do like the song, but it's in the middle of the pack. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I didn't read this as abusive or not rising to the level of abuse, yeah, you know, maybe, like maybe, maybe some unhealthy dynamics. Yeah, that's, yeah, maybe that's what I mean more than, I don't feel like it's a physical abuse thing. I feel no, like this is emotional no. abuse. You know, I think they're both doing it to each other. It's one of those, I can't get rid of you, you know. I didn't read abuse into it, but I agree that we're getting back to the mission statement. The chorus you played is powerful, but when I think about this song, I like the verses more than the chorus. The verses are really powerful, and I don't mean lyrically. The verses are really powerful, and then the choruses are kind of light and airy. She's in her head voice. A little reverse from what most of the songs are, right? Exactly. And so it's interesting in that it's that kind of reversal, but I think I'd rather like the chorus. <laughs> than the verses, you know what I mean? Right, right. I'd rather have a softer verse building up to a powerful chorus than the other way around. Yeah, well, the thing about a powerful chorus is it's repetitive, so once you learn it, you can say it over and exactly. over and over again. When the powerful things are the verses, it's hard to memorize all that when you're singing. Like, if you're singing in the shower and you're trying to bell out the verses, right. there's a lot to remember, <laughs> Right. and there's not a lot to remember if it's a single chorus with four, six, eight lines that you can belt out every time it comes up. So that may be a little jarring or a little disappointing orienting to have it the other way around yeah so it is an interesting song structure but that thing about the floating which is kind of fun is like all the raw power is in the conflict and it's almost like meditative to get to the yeah. i'm not dead just floating yeah. i'm just here it's almost a it's meditation peaceful. yeah and so maybe that was what she was thinking yeah and approach that musically to reflect that yeah that makes sense to me that takes us to the seventh track on the album. Believe it or not, it was also the seventh single from the album. What? Released in October of 2007. So we're a year and a half into the album's release. Oh, wow. You know, it was released in spring of 06, and now we're in the fall of 2007. So it had a long shelf life. And that's the song, Cause I Can. It's all right. I don't give a damn. I don't play So I had to start this clip in a weird place because I had to dodge the F-bombs that are sprinkled oh, throughout yeah. the song. She does a swear in this one. All over the place. <laughs> and so certain verses I couldn't use, parts of the chorus I couldn't use. So you'll notice I cut around that in a weird way. But I think I captured all the elements of what makes the song so powerful. Again, this is another song about female empowerment. I feel at this point that she's made it as a rock star because she's flaunting her wealth throughout the lyrics of the song. You know, your whole house would fit in my swimming pool. I love that line. Which was in the clip that I played. I was able to get that in there. She 
she's really flaunting that I'm on top because I am a woman of wealth and power. Really like the song. It's in the top half of the album for me. It's not one of my top three. I can't believe we so haven't hit a single one I yet. I have had no favorites and no least favorite yet. In the first seven, seven tracks. songs of the album. Wow. So batting the hatches is going to be an active back half oh of the album. Oh my goodness. Meanwhile, this is my third favorite. Oh, I got to write that down. And j just for your edification, I had the clean version of this album. So the first time I listened to the explicit version on Spotify, I was like, oh, I never heard that word before. <laughs> See, that was part of why I didn't understand why grandma gave it to you. I'm like, holy crap. No, it was the clean version. The one I remember most is in Stupid Girls. There's the line, you know, will it F up my hair? In the clean version, the rap artist who is featured comes in and goes, woo. So he goes, will it woo my hair? Like, it's That's really so weird. bizarre. Yeah, I know. Like, I might have to play the that's clean so version weird. clip. It's bananas. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's new. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I was thinking. I put it in. It's like, this is the um grandma gave her and about half the songs you got to avoid. And something. again, my recollection is that she got the album for free, didn't want it and gave it to me. She wouldn't know what was on it. Good thing she got the clean version. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to call her and uh, yeah. get the story. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. In this one, her empowerment comes from her money. Again, like I said at the beginning, I cannot take fault with that. She's a rock star. She's successful. She knows her worth. And she's confident about it. The whole throwing shade about, I can fit your whole house in my swimming pool, that cracks me up. And this same theme is repeated on another song in this album that we're going to get to later. Yes. And I also really like that one, not yes. in my top three, but another one I very much enjoy. And I like that the verses of this one are more spoken word. There's sort of like a rap breakdown in this song. Yeah. I find this unique for the album but also very of the album she sounds great as always and it's a fun song and yeah, i love dancing fun. to it's it fun musically you're right it is of the album it's one of those i would say if i was putting songs in a box that fit that mission statement theme this would be in that box and, well um, if you were gonna sum up the ethos of pink in three words i think because i can would be a pretty good yeah. concise synopsis of That's her of her career her music and her whole vibe right it's in your face. It's brash. I'm going to call you out and I have the money and the power to do it. Because I can. And I don't care because right. I can. Yeah. No, it's really fun. So before we get to the back half of the album, I would like to rate my... Oh um, no, I finished mine. <laughs> persimmon punch. You did. I'm sorry. Don't lick the glass. I don't know. Had to get that last little drop. Mm. So I'm going to give this one a four. You know, I like darker fruits more than the tropical fruits. This is a tropical fruit flavored beer, um, which I appreciate. But those flavors are more subtle. And so, you know, a little more sweetness, a little more fruitiness to this one. It would be much higher. It's a very solid, interesting beer, very complex. And I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to give this a 4.75. Holy macadoo. <laughs> I don't even know how to write that down. I don't know if I've ever given such a high rating on the podcast before. This is full stop. One of the most interesting beers I've ever had. The number of flavors that are in it, I can't taste every single one, but it produces such a depth of flavor that combined with the tropical fruit flavor is unique to me because I tend to think of those tropical fruit beers as a higher surface level flavor, not like a real depth 
to it. And this has that because of all the ingredients they got in there. And it's floral to me. It tastes like a tea blend. And I would order it again over almost every other beer I've ever had. So it's deserving of that 475. Excellent. I agree with you. I'm not as much of a tropical fruit sour fan as you are. I can totally see where you're coming from with that. There's a lot going on there. In most scenarios, if there's some floral flavor in it, like I love lavender, I love rose in foods and beverages. And so this is right up my alley. Excellent. <laughs> and it really succeeded. So Perhaps the Pops on Hops budget can accommodate you with a crowler before we leave. Perhaps. <laughs> Maybe once we get that uh, untapped sponsorship. Untapped. Why don't you sponsor us? One day the budget will be able to accommodate many, many more crowlers. <laughs> well, and, and if we get a functioning budget, we can do many, many, many more episodes. A budget that's not dad's credit card? Yeah. Hey. That's uh, top secret knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the next beer on our list. This is one that I think is going to be more for me. It's called Void Vibe. It is a black sour. It's aged on Andean blackberries. So it's a dark fruit. It's a dark fruit. Yeah, Ryan described this last night as essentially a sour stout, which we previously had one of that style before at Hourglass. The Enamel Eater was a sour stout, and I have not had one since then. So I'm excited to try this one. All right, let's find out. Well, to me, this is almost chocolatey. This is reminiscent of raspberry and chocolate. That sort of tart, chocolatey combination. Yes. That's what I get. I agree with you. There's a texture there. Dare I say mouthfeel. Dare I say. I'm not calling it mouthfeel. I'm saying, what is the mouthfeel? It's not a thickness. Astringent? No, I was thinking more that it had a texture to it, a light texture, not quite thick. Grainy? It's definitely astringent. That's part of the tartness. Yeah, but not terribly so. This is... I might even classify this one as sour. Interesting. I say that because, you know, when I think of tart, I've been parsing this because people have called us out on this I know, discussion. I know, people before. love this. But tart, the fans love to this me, discussion. is the combination of a little bit of sour and a little bit of sweet. Yeah. And maybe that's why I go with tart in those circumstances because I'm getting the hint of sweetness with it. This doesn't have a lot of sweetness to it. And what little bit of sweetness is there is a fruity sweetness. It's got an astringent or an acidic kind of quality to it. And it's got a little bit of thickness to it. And actually, when you look at it, you can see what I'm talking about. Yeah. You can almost see particulates yes. floating around in yeah. it, right? Yeah. For me, the roastiness comes through way more than the fruit. Whatever fruit qualities I'm picking up strictly come from the tartness. To me, the beer itself is more roasty than fruity. I think you're right, but I get all that late. After the fruit dissipates, after the sourness dissipates, what's left there is coffee-ish. Yeah, or chocolate is what I said. You were saying chocolate. I would say kind of coffee-ish that lingers. So another complex beer with a lot going on. And honestly, very tasty. Uh, Very tasty. (laughs) And My nice bell curve on Untapped is in trouble today. That's a really good one. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. so far my favorite one of the day. Oh, wow. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I got one more there that's also dark. Yeah, and that one looks very interesting. That one looks interesting, too. So, All right, got to move on to the back half of the album now. Moving on to track eight. This was the sixth single released in February of 2007. And that's the song, Leave Me Alone, I'm Lonely. Leave me alone, I'm 
My favorite song on the album. Excellent choice. Is it also yours? It's not, but this is up there. Well, musically, I think it's fabulous. It's so fun. And the theme is so cool. I mean, I don't even know where to start. It's about personal space in a relationship. Don't be in my face all the time. This is going to go way better if we're apart for a while. Separate, what is it? Separation makes the heart Heart grow grow fonder. fonder. Yes. Yes. I like that theme so much. And I totally agree with that sentiment that the problem with people in controlling relationships is it's always in your face. Yeah. She's saying, I don't want this much control over me. Yeah. This is going to be way better for everybody if you don't do that. I think that's fabulous. So yeah, it's my favorite on the album. To me, this one and the next one are among the poppiest of the songs on the album. And two of the three I picked were maybe a little harder than these two. But I agree with you. This is such a fun song. So upbeat. I love the lyrics. Two of my favorite lyrics on the album are in the song. One you played, I don't believe Adam and Eve spent every goddamn day together. That's hilarious. And then the immediate next lyric after you stopped the clip was, I don't want to wake up with another, but I don't always want to wake up with you either. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) She tagged onto that lyrically after that, the line, you taste so sweet, but I can't eat the same thing every day. Right. (laughs) I don't want to break up. You're my person, but like, I need my space. Yeah, just give me a break. (laughs) I need my space. Yeah, I love it. But there's also that element of, I'm telling Telling you to leave me alone, but like secretly I'm lonely and I want you to fight to come back yes, to me. The title is an interesting title. That yeah. twist on the yeah. leave me alone, I'm lonely. Yeah. And part of that makes me think it's almost a description of an introvert, right? Oh, for sure. Leave me alone, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm lonely. Yeah. Because she's embracing the I'm lonely. Leave me alone, I want to be lonely. Right, right. I want sometimes. Right. I want to be alone. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the sixth single. So remember, they released Dear Mr. President two months before this, which makes that choice even more odd to me when you have this kind of a powerhouse song that you can release as a single and you released Dear Mr. President ahead of it. That and this is track eight. You get through a lot of songs to get to this song. And I think that's a testament to how great all the songs are. Because if you've stuck around long enough to hear this, you've gotten through seven tracks already. Right. Well, and there's 14. Again, there's 13 plus the hidden one. But when you buy the album, it's 13 tracks, which is a significant number of tracks for an album in the 2000s. Yeah. So coming out of that, now remember, it was Cause I Can to Leave Me Alone, I'm Lonely. And that leads us to track number nine, which is You and Your Hand. Get out, going out on the late night Looking tight, feeling nice, it's a cockfight I can tell, I just know that it's going down So this is my third 
third favorite song on the Very album. Very nice! Again, because musically it fits, this is one of the ones you put in the box of this is the mission statement of the album. I love the sass in this. I, I just <laughs> lyrically, it's in your face and sassy. Oh, yeah. And I really, really like it. I mean, the basic gist of it is she goes to a club and guys are buying her drinks with all with the expectation of going home for the night. And she's like, screw yeah. that. Just give me I'm the cash. I'm here with my friends. I'm here with my friends. Just give me the cash and you can go home and yeah. spend your night by yourself, yeah. right? Hence the title, You and Your Hand. Yeah. Which is spelled... You plus you your plus hand. You are hand. <laughs> yeah. Writing poetry for teenagers makes a comeback. But despite that, I think this is a really, really cool song. By the way, we haven't talked about this. Prepping for this, I've listened to it a lot of places, driving, running. It's a great running album. I bet. And many of the songs have made my long running oh, wow. playlist because they're up-tempo yeah. and this kind of style of music. Now, how often will I hear it? I don't know. I have 17 hours of music in I playlist. love imagining you running to I'll be You somewhere. and Your Hand by I'll Pink. Be, I'll be somewhere <laughs> running and then this randomly will come up, right? Because I have so many songs in there, you never know what you're going to get on so Shuffle. Funny. So anyway, it's on the list. Up-tempo, musically fun album with in-your-face lyrics. You would go, oh, not going to respond to that. Or you said, oh, I'm really seriously think this is the first album you're not going to like. I had a way easier time getting into this album than I did the Heim album, for example. Interesting. Well, I huh. find this more musically interesting. Yeah. There's more going on than the Heim album. And she's belting it out with a great voice. And so, yeah, this is a really good, fun album. I really liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, from the beginning. So, yep, that's my third favorite. I love this song. It's not my top three. I have this awesome memory of going out to the club, dancing, and this song comes on, and I just lost my freaking mind. It's one of my favorite memories of being out at a club and dancing and this song coming on. It's so perfect for that environment. That's very you know? cool. Yeah, yeah I, I can imagine that. That was probably, I mean, aside from Stupid Girls, that was probably the single that was most in the culture. That and Stupid Girls were the two that I was yeah. thinking you might have heard before. Yeah, I never heard the song before. It was awesome. the third single, by the way, released in August of 2006. Yeah, so it was I one mean, of the earlier singles. And it was everywhere. Not in the channels I listened to. I guess I mean, that I, makes I, sense. Well, quite honestly, they wouldn't play that style of music on the spectrum. They just wouldn't. Yeah, so right. So I'd have to go to a channel that was playing other stuff in this vein. But, and I just don't. I don't rotate through there. So maybe that's my musical blind spot is I should throw that on once in a while and see what's happening yeah, over there. Yeah, maybe you should. Take a trip over to the top 40. Uh, now that I host a musical podcast, well, I can do what <laughs> I've been doing which, lately, which is relying on you to feed me the information. Yeah, that's true. I'm also a little lame in that regard. Right. <laughs> this was top 40 in 2006, but am right. I listening to any top 40 of 2022? Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> I can't speak for you. Probably oh. not. All right. That takes us to track number 10. Run away. I'm too young to be taken seriously, but I'm too old to believe all this hypocrisy. And I wonder how long it'll take them to see my bed is made. And I wonder.
So this is another one of those songs that's structured with kind of a slower verse, yep. telling the story, and then kind of a belted out chorus, obviously about a child who's leaving home. She's leaving home. Yeah. Bye-bye. You know what I'm referring to? The Beatles. Yeah. It's like the answer song to She's Leaving Home, oh. because that's told from the parents' point of view. And if I had time, I was going to try to do a, oh. a little blended weird track, and I may try to go back and do that. More with her verses, try to figure out what that looks like, because it's the opposite perspective. They wake up, and the house is empty, yeah. and they're like, what's going on? Yeah. And here it's, I wonder how long it'll take them to see the bed is made. Yeah. There's a almost a call and response kind of story between those two songs, and I just just ran out of time That's to try very to good, put that Dad. together. Look at you. So this is an interesting story. We could throw it in the empowerment category. You know, she's taking life into her own hands and running away. I don't know that that's a good answer or a good solution, so I don't know that I would throw it in the smart empowerment category, <laughs> but it's definitely... Well, are any know, of these smart empowerment? Well, you were talking about earlier, she's not writing necessarily stories about her life personally, but more of a compilation of songs about issues affecting young women. This falls in that category. This is definitely a thing that's going on in the United States. Another unwanted child, going back to previous conversation about another topic. Right, uh, but was she an unwanted child, or was that just her perception of her relationship with her parents. So then we're dealing with maybe parents who don't communicate well or a family that doesn't communicate well, like ours, dysfunctional family where we don't communicate well. Oh my God, yeah, we like never talk ever. Never talk ever. If I have another production meeting on my calendar next week, I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) But anyway, you understand the point, right? Yeah. A family that doesn't communicate appropriately is going to lead to this kind of situation and it definitely happens and it's definitely sad. So it's an interesting choice to put on an album that you're, you're trying to empower young women. What a weird one to put on there in the sense that are you encouraging that? Are you saying that's a real option? Are you just telling a story? It's hard for me to peg this. So this is really at the bottom for me. I'm not a fan because I'm not sure how it fits into that young women empowerment model that we've been talking about. I feel like it's not good advice. This is probably in the bottom few for me, but again, not my least favorite. We've already heard that. It's interesting you brought up what I mentioned earlier about some of these songs are not about her life. I actually have a story with a quote from her that I would like to share. So she said of this song, it's been especially hard for my parents hearing me write about things they never knew about. My mom's like, were you really that angry? Was I really that in denial? Was I really that bad a parent? No, mom, you were great. You didn't try to run me over with your car. I made it up. (laughs) But by writing all of it down and sharing it with the world, I've broken with most of it. So to me, that reads like her relationship with her parents wasn't actually this bad. She didn't actually contemplate running away, but much in the vein of leave me alone, I'm lonely. She wants to get a reaction out of it. She wants to know that she's loved and wanted and valued by her parents. And if she has to run away or pretend to run away or whatever to get a reaction out of them, you mentioned she's bringing up how long will it take them to notice that I'm gone? That's not running away because you want to run away. That's running away because you want them to miss you. just had problems with the song because I feel like everything else is about standing up for yourself, standing up for your rights, being tough, being in your face. And this is not that. It's kind of the opposite of that. This isn't taking the bull by the horns and into your own hands. This is making what could be a really dangerous right. life choice. Right. And the fact that it's so clearly written for someone still living at home, young people, that's what's most right. concerning to me. Like right. They are actually in the place to make these kinds of choices. There's other songs on this album that describe situations that a young person 
physically cannot get into Correct. at that age. Right. But they can run away from home. I feel like, <laughs> given everything else on the album, that this kind of encourages that behavior. And that's maybe not the message she meant to send by the song. Yeah. But it's certainly the message that may be leaking into the minds of people who listen to the album yeah. that are in that situation. I think and that's so a very That's fair why point. I put it down at the bottom for that reason. I'm going to suggest we discuss one more song before we switch beers. Sounds good to me. Because I feel like we may have some complicated discussions on the final three tracks. But anyway, we're going to move on now to track number 11, The One That Got Away. Two weeks later, I was sitting in his apartment. He was making cappuccino. I said, what kind of man makes cappuccino? We laughed, we laughed, we laughed, we laughed till tears ran down my face. Oh, but my man, you're someone else's man. And that ain't the man that I want, want. You keep drawing me in with those big brown lion eyes. You'll always be mine in the back of my mind. It's not credited to the Indigo Girls, but it sure sounds like it's in that exact same model of song. It's acoustic. There's a backup singer. They're not credited, so I doubt it's them. But this is very much musically like Dear Mr. President. It is, yeah. It's good that it's split far away from the other song, right? That was number five, and this is track 11, so they're separated. I like the song. It seems like a song about a fleeting relationship. Might be a married man. I, I highlighted a lyric, and I played it in the clip. But my man, you're someone else's man, and that ain't the man that I want to want. It sounds like this may be some affair with a married man or something like that. It's a slow burn, and it's in the bottom third of the album for me. Yeah, same. I think the story's fairly obvious. The one that got away, the title, I know what it's going to be about. To me, it's a past relationship that ended for whatever reason. He wasn't married at the time. In my conception of it, they had a relationship, it ended, and now she's she with has, somebody else. She, somebody. she has spent the rest of her life wondering, was he the one? Did I make the wrong choice? I feel like that is a trope that happens you know the one that got away is a phrase that is instantly recognizable so it's not really a new story I think her descriptions of the time they spent together are sweet I don't love that she puts him down as a man who likes cappuccino I think that's a little sexist of her men can like any form of espresso beverage that they want <laughs> I was thinking when I was listening to that lyric and talking about the Jimmy Buffett album and you were saying what I like about the writing was it was very specific details it was a Tuesday yes. on the island that cappuccino line was reminiscent of that like she's describing physical things that are happening in real time in that relationship yeah I found that interesting yeah I, stylistically I didn't mind it I mean it's acoustically driven but even the way she rambles on through the verses is vocally interesting it's, yes yeah, it it's is kind neat. of a, it's yeah. a cool way to do it but I'm with you it's a very simple story it's been told a million different times right I don't think this version of that adds much to that storyline I agree with that it's sweet the memories are nice it almost reminded me a little bit of the breakup song on the men at work album he's having all these sweet memories of their time together and it's sad because the memories were sweet right. but the song is not sad it's pretty and light and sweet she's saying it is it the one that got away but i don't feel like she's saying that with a ton of regret musically yeah. telling me that she's particularly sad yeah you're right and the emotion in her voice would not suggest that it really is right. the lyrics only that yeah nothing that about it makes that. you think yeah. she's sad yeah well so. it does sound like she still has some relationship with him like maybe they're still friends or something 
something because she said you keep drawing me in with those big brown lion eyes so like clearly they're in each other's lives still yeah, so she right. still has some sort of contact with him so I'm not sure she's looking back on this scene or is she living the scene in real time oh. you know I can't really tell what the timeline is within the context of the song either and that goes back to your point about the line he's somebody else's man is that now is that in the future is she looking back on the scene knowing that in the future that i can't right. get a gauge on not that that adds or subtracts from the song i think it's pretty clear what the song is about yeah it's a very pretty song but is it necessary on this album in a 13 track album? yeah i was just about to Maybe say not, on an album know? of 14 tracks i don't know this might be the first one to get cut yeah and you're saying that so you can move Dear Mr. President later in the album and still have the connection with the Indigo Girls. Sure, yeah, because yeah. Because you could also make the case that you could take those two songs off the album and have a 12-song album with neither of the acoustic songs, and it would just be a powerhouse rocker all the way through until the final track, which we're going to get to. That's a good point. But then you wouldn't have that sweet, sweet cross-promotion with the Indigo Girls. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just drop it as a single. It's 2006. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just drop it as a single. Exactly. What are you yeah, doing? Why are we worrying about this album track for? Yeah. All right, let's rate this delicious void vibe. So to remind everybody, this is a dark sour ale made with Andean blackberries. I'm going big on this one, four and a quarter. I love this wow. one a lot. Yeah, very good. I dig it too. It is sour, but also has the roastiness, coffee, or what I sort of perceived as chocolate, and I'm going to give it a 4.0. Yeah, I think the reason I went high on that is because after the flavors of the fruit dissipate, then you taste the coffee. You do. And the coffee hangs. Yeah. 20, yeah. 30 seconds I still after taste the it. sip, you've got this coffee thing going on. It's a really good, interesting beer. I don't want to say it's an odd-looking beer, but it's cloudy. No, it is odd. It's almost like a chocolate brown, but it is cloudy, and when there was more of it in the glass, it was almost reddish. And almost layered. There was something maybe trying to settle toward the bottom. It is honestly a strange-looking beer. That was the first thing when she poured me the flight. I was like, that's an interesting color. It's a little bizarre, but very, very tasty. So that's going to take us to our final selection of the day, which is called Nightman. That's a Baltic porter. The description is bread pudding inspired Baltic porter aged on cinnamon, vanilla, and lactose. This uh, has I'm all the I'm excited. Now, I did tell that story last night about Dayman and Nightman, yeah. the two of them. So both are bread pudding inspired. Right. Dayman is a blonde. Nightman is a Baltic porter. He said if you mix them in a half-to-half -half ratio, it tastes exactly like an oatmeal cookie. Okay. An oatmeal raisin cookie. Well, we're not doing any chemistry experiments. We're only having Nightman. But I, I'm really excited to try. I love bread pudding. I love a Baltic porter. And weirdly, I love raisins. So let's get into it. Okay, I have a new favorite for the day. Oh. Oh my God. Wow, wow, wow. I think it's more French toast than bread pudding. I don't know what makes those two different. I think this has a little maple-y. A little maple-y taste. A little maple-y taste that was so not sweeter. advertised. Sweeter, but again, we've had this discussion about sweet stouts versus porters versus dry stouts. We've had this a million times. Sweet stouts are too sweet for me. They're too syrupy. This is sweet, but it is not even close to overwhelmingly oh, it's sweet. it's not syrupy. Well, and remember, it's a porter, which right, is exactly. thinner to begin with. Thinner. I definitely taste the vanilla. I do too. That's the strongest okay. flavor. And I taste the raisin after the vanilla kind of wears off a little bit. It does have a slight creaminess to it. Yeah, slight. It's there. I can't name another porter I've had that has lactose in it. I'm sure I've had one, but one doesn't come to mind. But it's creamier than other porters I've had, and that has to be the lactose. But it's quite tasty. Very tasty. Well, while we're enjoying that one, before we rate it, we have three songs left to go. Gonna move on to track 12. I got money now. When I was a young buck, I tried to be like by. Every 
this one kind of bookends because I can. This is a song about a woman who, you know, she's flaunting this money, but because it's in a minor key, there's this undercurrent of sadness to it. Maybe that's not cutting it anymore. Maybe that's not good enough anymore. The money's not buying the happiness necessarily that she thought it would. So kind of a complicated song. It's a real slow burn, obviously. One of the slower ones on here. So it's in the bottom third for me. I love, love, love this song. Maybe five or six. You know, it's top half. I agree that it's very much the sister track to Cuz I Can. She does point out some things that I think are really deep. What did she say when I was a young something? When I was a young buck, I tried to be liked by everyone. I think that's a thing that a lot of young girls go through. We're socialized to be social and friendly and flirtatious to get what you want. And it's not the healthiest way to live. <laughs> no, right, right, right. You don't have to be liked by everyone. Right. And I think anything to me about, oh, I'm a powerful woman, I'm rich, I can do whatever I want. Like I loved Cause I Can was my third favorite. I love this song. She's like, I can make these choices for myself. You don't have any say in my life. I think the fact that it's called I Got Money Now, not a grammatically correct sentence, like it's sassy. The title sassy, even though the musicality of it is slower and minor key. That's what I mean. It doesn't come across with the sass. The title gives you sass, but musically and the way she sings it or her approach to it is not as sassy as you would want. She's saying, I don't have to make these choices because I got money now, but because of the way it's recorded, there's an inherent sadness that I don't have to make these choices because I got money now, but I'm still not happy. Still oh, not involved yeah. in those relationships, and I'm still not involved in the things I want to be involved in, despite the fact that I have money now. I get some of that in there. Yeah, if you sang true. this song the way you sang Cause I Can, that would be sassy. Right. Same set of lyrics. Right. Completely different arrangement yeah. is yeah. a completely different song. Yeah. You can write a set of lyrics that would come across as sassy and not sing it that way. Right. And right. it takes on a completely different context. Yeah. So in my head she was like, I haven't tried to sing like this before. Let's give it a shot. I understand what you're saying about the key and the vocal performance sounding sad. I don't get any sad feelings from this song at all. So to me, in my head, she was just, let's try this new performance style because it's unique on the album, right? She's trying something new. I love that. And I enjoy singing the song. I think songs that associate being a big boss, being like a big man because of the amount of money you have, it's very incongruous with the fact that I'm an anti-capitalist, but I love it when people are like, I got money, you can't say nothing to me. <laughs> but can you see the difference between the anthemic approach to that of Cause I Can? Oh, of course, yes, versus yes, Versus yes. this one. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it seems like it didn't work out for this character. That may be a conflict that she's living with internally, which is why you've got two versions of the same concept. One yeah. Oh, true. One in my eye that's very positive and like, I got money, look out. And the other one, like, I got money yeah. and I'm still in a sad place. I would love to hear a minor key acoustic version of Cause I Can. I would love to hear I Can Fit Your Whole House in My Swimming Pool in a minor key sounding sad. Let's well, perform it. <laughs> well, right after you get done with the beer course, you can take guitar lessons okay. and then you can, you know, you can work on that. But in the meantime, I'm going to move on to the penultimate track, track number 13, Conversation with my 13-year-old self. Conversations with my 13-year-old self Conversations with my 13-year-old self You're angry, I know this 
The world couldn't care less You're lonely I feel this And you wish you were the best No teachers or guidance And you always walk alone You're crying at night when Nobody else is So I saw the title of this song, and I wanted to like it. Oh no! And I don't like oh, it. Oh no! This is my favorite song on the album. No, it's my least favorite <gasps> song on the Get album. Get out of here! This Is this the first time this has happened? I think it may be. Oh wow! Tell me why. Well, I think it's a little too on the nose the way it's written, but I think it's the music. It's like an opera. Yes! That's what I love I about it. I hated it. <laughs> okay, well I come from a theater, musical theater yeah, type of... No. I felt like it was overblown and overperformed musically. Give me the acoustic minor key version of this song. That's the song I want to hear. Because lyrically it's okay. It's got some depth, but not as much depth as I thought it was going to have. I just had some problems with it, sadly. And so, yeah, it's my least favorite. I think musically it's the weirdest track on the album. I think the lyrics would be rendered more powerful with a quiet acoustic, or quiet piano. You know, there's piano notes in here, kind of minor key piano. And if that was the background, I think you'd have a more powerful song. I think when all this instrumentation comes in and the strings and all this weird stuff starts coming in, I don't care for it. I love it. I love the piano. I love the variety of the piano. In the verses, it's soft and plinky. And then it gets really big, powerful piano in the choruses. I think that's great. It's creepy at some points, how it sounds. I think this song is everything that Stupid Girls was trying to be and everything that Runaway was trying to be. To me, this is way more empowering than Stupid Girls. That's why I said I wanted to like the song. I'm having a conversation with my 13-year-old self. Having gotten through all this stuff, I'm on the other side now, and I explained to you how meaningless some of this nonsense is you're dealing with. I like that conceptually. I do. Yeah. I don't want Phantom of the Opera on this set of lyrics. The music dominates and you don't really get the contextualization of the complicated lyrics, the complicated story that's being told. Strip it down and I think it's a way better song. I mean, I disagree, but that's fair. <laughs> yeah, this weird orchestral stuff pops yeah. in randomly and yes. it disappears. Like, why is that there? What no, the I love it. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's a big sound. It's unique for the album. I think it's beautiful and I think the lyrics are so much more nuanced and meaningful. I mean, she touches on, you're angry, I know this, the world couldn't care less. Like, she's touching on stuff from nobody knows, right? Like, no one knows what you're going through, but I know what you're going through because I've been through it. Exactly. But it's such a more nuanced approach to that message. And then she's saying, don't lose your passion and the fire that's inside of you. That's way more nuanced of a lyric than stupid girls. I'm not arguing And that. she's talking about no teachers, no guidance. That's way more specific and nuanced than runaway. And so I think I think that this is the culmination of everything that she's been trying to say in lyrics that didn't hit the mark then. In this song, they all come together and it hits for me and it's so meaningful. I'll say it one more time. I wanted to like this song more than I did. And it was the music that took me out of it. 
Now remember, this is technically the last track. Yes, Because the is. hidden track is next, and so this would have ended the album on top of it. But I, I agree with you that it's the culmination of everything that's come before in a lot of ways, or it, it definitely ties into the theme. But it is an outlier musically. It, it is, a, to me, an odd way to end the album. That's my story. I'm sticking wow. to it. Wow. Well, perchance the pops on hops first. My favorite was your least favorite. <laughs> We're going to have to go back through the archives. I don't think that's ever happened. Now, that takes us to the special bonus track, which for those of you who keep score at home, is my second favorite on the album. I did keep score at Abigail's home. Abigail's going to roll her eyes and go, you did what? You picked what as a second favorite song I'm on not the surprised album? at all. Here is the track, I Have Seen the Rain. And the story of this I'll share before we get into it is that this was a song that her father wrote during the Vietnam War. And she learned how to play guitar and sing with him. And they went into a studio and recorded this song together. I have shared the intro at the start of the show. And so here is a little bit of I Have Seen the Rain. I have seen the rain How should I have the pain Oh, it's been 30 years or so And I'm just stepping off of the plane Spend my day just searching Spend my nights in dreams Stop looking over my shoulder, baby I stopped wondering what it means Drop out, burn out, soldier hall Oh, they said I should have been more Probably so if I hadn't have been In that crazy damn Vietnam War Clearly a song he wrote about some of the mental health struggles that he had or that veterans were having in the aftermath of the Vietnam War Really simple, beautiful song. But the fact that they went into the studio together, he played that on acoustic guitar, they sang that together. How could that not be my second favorite? And by all rights, probably should have been my first favorite song on the album because (laughs) it's the two of them recording that together. And I just, it's come full circle for me that the two of them went into the studio and did that. I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's beautiful that they did it together. They sound so good together. Their harmonies are amazing. Clearly they had done that many, many times over the years. (laughs) Well, she said that's how she learned how to harmonize. That's right. But it becomes part of what we're doing here in my mind. It's the same thing. They got to do this thing together that's super cool. And the fact that you put it on the album is amazing. And I'll say it again because we talked about it earlier when we were being vague. To hide it and have a five-minute gap and make people find it, I find a little disappointing because it's too cool for that. It's too cool to bury and hide and make people go hunt it down and find it. I mean, it gets discovered and everybody discovers it. And I understand that. I'm not trying to say people don't find it. But to not list it on the credits of the album, for example. I have a new theory, actually. Oh, you do? I would like to hear it. She's had this whole album of being angry and contrarian and it's very much against her image to have a sweet relationship with her dad. So I think that's why it's the hidden track. Well, you shouldn't bury the lead. (laughs) Because what that's saying is that you're hiding it because you want to blame your parents and not yourself. Maybe the problem in the relationship was the daughter, not the dad. Yikes. We're getting into some too personal territory. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) No, I'm joking. Yeah, no, I, I think this song is beautiful. I was very much expecting it to be up there for you. Not necessarily your second favorite, so that is cool to hear. I definitely did not appreciate this song when I was a kid, but it is very special to me now. I think it's beautiful and we haven't said his name 
her dad's name is James T. Moore. Yeah, he he wrote the song. I think it's beautiful, and I'm really glad it was your second favorite. Yeah, and I debated making it my first favorite, but I feel like I really wanted my top favorite pick on the album to reflect what this album was musically, and I think that's why I ended up not picking an acoustic song as my number one favorite yeah, song that's fair. on an album like this. But in retrospect... Wait, is that a dig at me for my first favorite no, choice? No, no, no. <laughs> no, but you know, typically the running joke is it's the Barry Hummel Slow Acoustic song, yeah. least favorite on the <laughs> album. And you'll notice that I didn't put any of the acoustic songs as my least favorite on the album That's very true. I put your favorite song as my least favorite song on the album. How bizarre is that? Well, you'll get over it. So, Well, that wraps up the album. I really liked this album. Like I said before, I have many of these songs have made it to my running playlist for perpetuity. I love that. That is so gratifying for me to hear. I love that. But anyway, your reservations about me not liking the album, I'm glad I could dispel that myth. And so uh, don't be afraid to share anything. If you got stuff you're, you're <laughs> like, oh, he's going to hate it. All right, it's time to rate the final beer of the day, which is the Nightman. Just to remind everybody, that's the Baltic Porter that's bread pudding inspired and made with cinnamon, vanilla, and lactose. I'm giving that one a four and a half. That's my favorite of the day. You know, a sweet, dark beer is one of my favorite categories. This is a sweet, dark beer. It's got some complex flavors to it. Vanilla really is a standout. There is a bready quality to it. I don't know what it is, kind of a grainy, bready quality. For I sure. really enjoyed that one. My favorite one of the day. We drank them in the perfect order for me because each one got exponentially better as we progressed today. For me, this is a 4.0. Not my favorite of the day, but I really enjoyed it. Again, I like a dark beer that is not as sweet and syrupy. And this was... For me, the perfect level of sweet at the size glass we're drinking out of. Perfect in a five ounce pour. Not sure I would want too much more of that, but extremely tasty, super interesting flavor profile. And it is what it advertises itself as. It is bread pudding in a beer. So 4.0. Well, we had a fabulous time here. The place is getting crowded. It's time for us to give up the table and let some people get in here and have a few of these delicious beers. We want to thank Ryan Sarno again for hosting us today and also jumping on for the interview earlier. I guess it's that point where I get to assign you an album. Yes, my favorite part. So I'm still in medical school and the little timeline I've created for myself, we're circa summer of 1987. See a music video on MTV that's nothing particularly special about the music video, but the sound of the music was amazing and so different for this artist that it really jumped out at me. And it actually made me sort of my entry point in buying his records. I retconned his whole catalog after this. I went and got everything he's done. The anticipation is killing me. Well, I'm trying to drag it out. <laughs> and that album is The Lonesome Jubilee by John Cougar Mellencamp, released in August of 1987. John Cougar Mellencamp. Yes. The only context I have for John Cougar Mellencamp is there have been multiple occasions where I have heard a song of his and thought it was Bruce Springsteen. A lot of similarities. He's the rural American version of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. So Bruce Springsteen, a lot of songs about working class men and women in urban areas and factories. And Mellencamp's side of that coin is small towns and farm communities in the rural Midwestern United wow, States. Cool. But they're very similar storytellers. But this music, when you hear it, none of his other stuff had sounded like this previously. I think a lot of it was he was very actively involved with Willie Nelson in the Farm Aid concerts in the mid to late 80s. And I think this album's a reflection of that. I really hope you like it. It's, a, to me, a fun, musically interesting album. Well, the Lonesome Jew 
Jubilee is a great name for an album. Yes. That's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. I've, I've never listened to any Melon Camp that I know of. So, in the meantime, if you need more Pops on Hops content, you can find us on all social media platforms Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops Pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or you can visit our very cool website, popsonhopspod.com, where we have supplemental material, photos, videos from all of our bi-weekly episodes, as well as our virtual jukebox where you can submit an album of your very own for us to review and possibly even to appear on the podcast. And on behalf of Hops and Pops, we'll see you next time. I'm not drunk, just drinking. (laughs) Bye. Yes, ma'am. Before you do that, do you want to turn the sign to face the audience? Of course. <laughs> Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Because only we can see it right uh, now. I took the picture with the flight. <laughs> Sorry.